0: Let's head to to Myanmar to our four hour fortnightly Asia update. Joining me is Thomas Keane. Now, Thomas is director and editor at large of the publication Frontier Myanmar and a senior consultant at that splendid outfit, the International Crisis Group. Welcome to the program. Now, Tom, it's hardly a shock, I guess, that the, uh, the military leader has just extended the so-called state of emergency by another six months.
1: Yeah, thanks, Philip. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it had, had been expected, really, um, because if they hadn't extended for another six months, then they would have had to hold an election within six months. And there really was um, little prospect of that election taking place in the next six months. When you look at the level of conflict in Myanmar, you know, right across the country, um, it's really hard to see how that could have gone ahead at this stage.
0: Tom, this is the fourth extension of the state of emergency, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. So the um, so under the constitution that, that the military wrote, they could um, – hold power as uh, um, as an emergency government for two years but they've now um, gone past that um, by six months and they've extended it again for another six months that's unconstitutional but um, you know they don't they don't worry too much about the, um, the, the the letter of the Constitution it's more about the spirit I think the way they look at it which means that they can do whatever they want essentially but
0: to some extent they want to- to uh, put a new coat of paint on the country, don't they? They want to. They're seeking a degree of legitimacy.
1: Well, that's right. Yeah, the election is Im- important to them. Um, they don't want to rule as an unelected military government that took power uh, in a coup. Um, you know, forever. I mean, they do want to transition to something. And and really, the only thing um, that th- that they have in mind is an election. Um, and so the plan is still to hold that election. But the challenge for the military, is to, um, to establish kind of law and order over enough of the country so that that election can take place. But, of course, the resistance forces, the various kind of opposition groups that have taken up arms against them uh, uh, have other ideas and are determined not to let that happen.
0: Now, Tom, if elections are eventually held, what can we expect them to look like?
1: Well, we have a fairly good idea because they've already rewritten a lot of the rules of the election. Um, Myanmar had a first-past-the-post uh, election system and that enabled the NLD, Aung San Suu Kyi's NLD government, to, um, to win uh, landslide election victories in 2015 and 2020. And the military is really determined to make sure that no one party um, can achieve uh, a landslide of, of that type again. So they've moved to a proportional represent, representation system. And you, you might uh, know that the uh, the military already has 25% of seats in parliament, so they only need um, friendly parties to secure one-third of the elected votes or the elected seats um, to get a majority uh, with their bloc that they already have.
0: So it's absolutely painfully clear that we can't have anything approaching a uh, an election that's uh, fair and decent.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it makes the uh, the Thai election that's that's just happened, look, um, incredibly fair, um, In you know, in comparison. Um, this is uh, absolutely stacked in the military's favour. I mean, they already stacked it in their favour the first time, but uh, Aung San Suu Kyi was so popular um, that, that that plan kind of blew up in their face. And, and so now they're trying to rewrite the rules again, or they have rewritten the rules again. Um, to make sure that, that there's there's never a repeat of that situation where a, po- a popular um, democratic leader, um, opposition leader, could uh, secure enough votes, enough seats um, to hold power.
0: Now, Tom, what does all this say about the, the grip the military has on the country? It, uh, is it as tight as a drum?
1: Well, no, it's not really because... Um, Uh, As I mentioned, um, since the military coup, uh, a lot of groups have taken up arms against the military. And even prior to the coup, there were a lot of uh, ethnic armed groups in the country's borderlands that, um, you know, have been fighting for greater autonomy for decades. A lot of those groups have joined forces to some extent with the new uh, groups that have emerged since the military coup and the military is fighting on a, a very wide range of fronts uh, across the country and really struggling to um to to establish control over, over over much of the country i mean they control the cities and a few of the rural areas ayowadi in the ayowadi delta is pretty firmly under military control but a lot of the rest of the country is contested or under the control of uh, ethnic armed groups
0: okay coming back to the than the election and the way it's effectively rigged. Am I right in understanding that Aung Su Suu Kyi's a pro-democracy party, the National League for Democracy, isn't standing?
1: That's right. The NLD has decided not to participate in the election, so the military uh, dissolved the party back in March. Um, I, un, it's very understandable that the NLD would not participate. I mean, it's, it would effectively overwrite their their election win in 2020, their landslide win. And also, as I, as I mentioned, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, electoral system has been changed to ensure the military will win. Plus, you know, the party's leadership um, is is under arrest, under in prison like Aung San Suu Kyi, and many of its members have taken up arms against the military government. So uh, the NLD will not be participating in, in the election. Uh, that seems pretty clear.
0: As I was telling you off air, we had Aung San Suu Kyi on the program a couple of times in happier days, but I suppose there's some happy news in that uh, the leadership has, well, given her a partial pardon. What do you read into this?
1: Well, yes, there was a a pardon. Uh, It's a sort of, you know, quote-unquote concession from the regime, but it's not much of a concession, to be honest. She was facing or oh, she'd been sentenced to 33 years in prison um, and they've shaved off uh, six years. So they, they, they uh, pardoned her on five of the 19 charges, I think, um, that had been levelled against her. Um, so she's still um, in prison for 27 years um, and she's 78 years old now. So, you know, if you do the maths, um, they're effectively trying to, to make sure that she can't make a political return. So this is really aimed at the international uh, audience, the countries that are, are friendly to the regime, like Thailand, China, and India, and trying to, um, to, 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 make a concession to them to show that their approach of engaging with the regime is working.
0: Well, one of those concessions involves the announcement of, uh, of an amnesty to more than seven thousand prisoners.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, this is not really unusual in Myanmar. Um, Military leaders, uh, in particular, um, on uh, Buddhist holidays or um, National Day, um, often release large numbers of of, um, prisoners. Um, And so yesterday there were more than 7,000 prisoners released and also the pardons were announced for Aung San Suu Kyi and the former president. Um, But it was the full moon day of Wazoo, which is a Buddhist holiday. And so it wasn't unexpected. And also it fits in with the way that the regime presents itself or the military presents itself as, um, as a, a you know, a protector of Buddhism, uh, you know, good uh, Buddhist uh, government, I suppose you could say. Um, and just to reflect that, they also opened a new pagoda in the capital, um, Nepidor, um which is uh, the world's largest um, marble Buddha image. Um, and so this really um, is all about the way that they present themselves as Buddhist leaders.
0: Tom, is there a chance with all the conflicts that you've previously mentioned in the program, that this will result in a country becoming totally balkanized?
1: Well, I, I, I think we just need to be a little bit careful with the term balkanized because of, um, you know, the connotations that come with it. Um, so what is happening is the country is fragmenting to some degree. So ethnic armed groups in particular have, have um, taken a lot of territory from from the state previously state-controlled territory, they've become much more powerful. And we've also got new Burmese armed groups um, that are trying to establish control over territory. And the state is shrinking. It is shrinking into different, um, you know, different areas of control. Um, But it doesn't necessarily mean that those uh, different parts of the country are going to start fighting each other Um, What we are seeing to some degree is a level of cooperation between um, different ethnic groups, different ethnic armed groups, and also um, cooperation between ethnic minorities and the Burmese majority, uh, which is kind of represented now by a new organisation called the National Unity Government. It's sort of the figurehead for um, the ongoing sort of the struggle against military rule.
0: My guest is Tom Keane. Tom, what about the impact of sanctions? Have they been in any way effective? Uh,
1: sanctions have not been particularly effective on the regime. You know, Myanmar was under the Myanmar was under sanctions for a long time in the nineteen nineties and two thousands. The military is uh, very used to being sanctioned, um, and so it you know it has a great capacity to weather whatever the international community can throw at it. Uh, they're incredibly determined to see through. Uh, their plan for um, securing uh, p- uh, political control in perpetuity. So sanctions have a pretty limited effect. And uh, sometimes sanctions and boycotts as well can also have um, negative effects on on ordinary people. Um, if we think about calls to boycott the, um, you know, garments that are produced in Myanmar, for example, the military doesn't make money from the garment sector. Um, you know, these are generally foreign investments, um, and they employ a huge number of people, um, hundreds of thousands, probably 500,000 people. And so if, um, you know, well, well-intentioned well boycotts um, put ordinary people out of work, I, I'm not sure that um, that would be, a, you know, an outcome that we really want to see.
0: What do you think the international community can or rather should be doing at this point, Tom?
1: Yeah, it's a really hard one because of the lack of leverage that um, countries that want to see a, a peaceful, um, democratic Myanmar have. Um, but it's really important, I think, to maintain pressure in coordination with um, with like-minded partners. Um, so for Australia, for example, that means working with ASEAN, uh, working with the United States, uh, European Union, and so on. And to use um, the leverage that we have with countries like Thailand and India that that are closer to the regime um, to try and uh, make sure that they are playing a, a, a productive role um, or, you know, having a, a productive influence on the regime, positive influence. And I think we, we do really need to carefully weigh up um, actions, um, you know, that that might have a negative consequence on the people of Myanmar, ordinary people, and to do whatever we can to protect communities from the harm that the conflict is causing. So maintaining humanitarian aid is really important um, it can be really difficult because the regime will often try to instrumentalize humanitarian aid for its own purposes. But there are ways to find alternative channels into the country so that communities can be reached with support. And we're talking about you know two million people displaced, almost 20 million people in need of, of uh, humanitarian aid in a country of only 53, 54 million people. So it's a huge number. there's huge needs inside Myanmar.
0: Tom, thanks for coming on. I've been talking to Thomas Keane, who's director and editor-at-large of the publication Frontier Myanmar and a senior consultant with the International Crisis Group. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.